See, we often think our God is distant and just wants the good stuff. And so we often try to polish our prayers. God, here's me and my holiness coming before you. Please do this thing I really need. And it kind of hurts, so I just will stop praying because I don't know how to say what I'm really feeling. But when we can be honest, God, I am deeply hurting. And I don't know where you are and what you're doing. And you know what? My enemies seem all around me. I don't know how to get out of this. When we can be that raw and that vulnerable, we're able to trust that he is a real God who's really for us a little bit more. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out And God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. I just love that story. Hey, go find a donkey, and then when you find it, just bring it to me. And if anybody asks, tell them it'll be okay. I don't own a donkey, but I don't know that I'd be okay with that. This story of Palm Sunday is Jesus entering into Jerusalem for his final week. You see, it was time to celebrate the Passover A meal in which every single year Jews from all around the world would travel to Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem they would begin to sacrifice. According to the law and according to the custom, they would sacrifice animals and then they would prepare this great feast in remembrance of the time when they were in slavery and in bondage in Egypt. But God, he brought them out. A lamb was then in Egypt sacrificed and they would spread the blood over the door and it was that moment, that action, the blood of that lamb that led for God to pass over those households and save them when death came near. And so in remembrance of this moment, all good and faithful Jews traveled to Jerusalem and it would have been a time like no other. Perhaps a million people would be in the city of Jerusalem in this time. Now just think about that. A million people. What is that, 10 times Neyland Stadium? Twice all of Knox County? A million people coming to this small city that most certainly did not have electricity or indoor plumbing or even grocery stores where things kept cold. Imagine the excitement and the busyness and all that was happening, not only with these people, but the animals coming to and fro, some just passing through and others to be the sacrifice. Imagine the festivities as they entered in. There in Mark, there's this scene that's painted. All the people, they see Jesus riding in and they rejoice and they celebrate and they shout with praises. And yet, if you're familiar with the story, those praises quickly become curses. In less than a week, perhaps the same people celebrating Jesus 
are the ones crying, crucify him. And so the church has historically recognized this day as significant. Not only as it marks the beginning of the end for Jesus, but significant because every gospel recounts this story. Not all of these four accounts, these eyewitnesses accounts, um, not all of them are the same, but every one of them talks about this story. Clearly for them, it was a momentous day. And I'm not Jesus, I can't claim to be Jesus, but I would think this would be pretty exciting, right? He comes in and they're shouting praises, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, the king of David, he's come. And they're shouting these praises. I would feel kind of good, especially if it was true. And for Jesus, all of the things they speak about him are true. And yet what we see in this moment where there should be joy, in this moment where there should be an opportunity to celebrate, Jesus weeps. We're in this series called Weep No More about the reality of grief and loss and our human condition of sin and death. But there's hope in the midst of our grief. So we're going to look first at Luke chapter 19 after Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Beginning in verse 41, it says this. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. When he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus, in this time of celebration, in this time of praise and joy, his heart is moved to sadness. Why? Why would Jesus in all of this good feel sad? Well, before we continue reading what he says in his sorrow, how often do we know the same? See, last week we talked about the reality of pain and death and suffering as we looked at the story of Lazarus, Mary and Martha who were weeping for their brother was dead. And Jesus, though he knew he could have fixed it, though he could have spoken and healed Lazarus, though he even knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, upon seeing their grief and their pain and seeing the place where he lay, Jesus wept. It says he was deeply moved, or in some translations, he was filled with anger. There's a reality for you and me that sometimes our grief is being deeply moved by the pain of loss, by the anger of things that have been stolen or taken from us, relationships, or jobs, or houses, or even lives. But sometimes our grief, as we'll see here from Jesus in a moment, is not because of our circumstance or our situation or the loss that we're feeling. Sometimes our grief, and in some ways may hurt a little more, our grief comes from seeing the pain in others, from seeing their hurt and not knowing how to fix it, or in some cases from seeing their hurt and the ways they're harming themselves and they don't even know it. You ever been there? 
you know somebody you care deeply about who is living in such a way that they're causing harm to themselves and they think it's good? Doing things that are destroying them and they won't listen to anybody say otherwise? Jesus, he comes into Jerusalem in the midst of all of this praise and all of these hallelujahs and hosannas and he sees the city and he weeps. There are two different accounts of what he says in this weeping. Luke here records one and then in Matthew 23, which we'll look at in a moment, Matthew records a separate one. And the weeping that Jesus has, the prayer he says recorded in Matthew is recorded by Luke, but it's recorded in a different place. And I'll, I'll talk about that here in a moment. But let's look at why Jesus weeps. In verse 42, he says this. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Kind of confusing and certainly dark. Jesus, he looks out at the city and he weeps. If only you had known what was happening, how it could have been so different. If only you had known the things that were right before you that would have brought you peace. It's interesting, these people, they cry out in praise. They celebrate Jesus as their savior, as their king, as their hope. But when he sees them, he sees that they're lacking for peace. They're lacking the faith and the understanding of who he is and just what he was all about. That the peace he brings is more than the peace they were looking for. You see, they had been oppressed by Rome for a long time and they were ready for a king to come like a mighty conqueror, one who would set them free to be the people of God in their own nation, ruled by their own king again. And they looked at Jesus and they shouted, Hosanna. They sang their praises for they believed in him would come peace, peace they've been longing for. But Jesus, he looks and he sees just how misguided they are. While their hopes are for everything to be restored and look the way they imagined, while their hopes are for a kingdom of this world, he's bringing to them a kingdom unlike any other. A kingdom that declares peace even in the midst of turmoil. A kingdom that creates goodness and joy even in the midst of our mourning. A kingdom where God is at work even when nothing looks the way we think it should. So he weeps because he sees that they're missing the point of it all. They're hoping for one thing and he's come to bring them something altogether different. And this breaks his heart not only because of where they're at in the present, but he knows what's coming in their future. 
and it's not pleasant. The days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. See, Jesus knows that this longing for a king, this longing for a physical reign and rule, this longing for everything in this world now to look like they imagined would create great division between them and the actual king, Caesar, the emperor. And Jesus knows this misguided and misplaced longing will be the very thing that creates the destruction of Jerusalem, which happens almost 35 years later where all of Jerusalem is leveled, the temple is completely destroyed, stone by stone dismantled. And for almost the next 2,000 years, the Jewish people would be scattered without a place to call home. Jesus knows what's coming. He says, there's coming this day when you and your children within you will experience great sorrow. If only you had known what was before you today. If only you had known in this time of your visitation who was with you. Maybe you could have avoided some of this pain. And I'll flip if you would like to Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, Matthew records this upcoming prayer, this grief of Jesus as the same thing that happens right after Palm Sunday. Right after Jesus walks into Jerusalem comes this prayer. And Luke records it earlier in Luke chapter 13, and I don't know why they record it in different places. Some think they record it in different places because Jesus prayed this prayer multiple times. Some think they record it in different places because Jesus was so moved with pain and with sorrow, and with grief, that he prayed lots of things and only snippets are recorded in each place. Others think that it's recorded in different places thematically so that it helps narrate the movement of the story. I, I don't know why they're recorded in different places. But I do wonder this. How is it that in such a deep way and in multiple occasions, Jesus the Son of God could be so moved to pain over the state of the people. Here it is, Matthew chapter 23. Most Bibles have a little subtitle here that doesn't exist in the original text, but that say it's a lament over Jerusalem. It says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, he looks out over Jerusalem and he weeps. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
Jesus, he's looking out at these people and crying. For time and time again throughout history, God has sent to them prophets, people who would speak the truth of God, people who, who would proclaim not only the things to come, but the way God was moving and active in the moment. People would, who, who would declare God's hope and his peace and his life. And yet if you read the Old Testament time and time again, the very people God went to in love rejected him. They wanted nothing to do with him. In fact, they accused those prophets of blasphemy and crimes against God. Time and time again, they attempted, if not successful, to kill them. Jesus, he looks at these people, the very people whom he's come to save, whom he loves deeply, and he sees that hardness in their heart and says, surely that truth and those promises and the things you're declaring to me, that's not real or for me. Surely my way, my understanding, my choices, the law that I'm living by, this is good to me. I've never been a part of killing or stoning anybody. And if you're not familiar, this kind of stoning looks very different than being stoned today. This kind of stoning involves actually throwing rocks at people until they're buried to death and killed by the brutal force of it all. That way no one person is responsible for their death, but the whole community together plays a part. I've never been a part of this, but I wonder how often Jesus speaks and I don't like what he has to say. He says, this is true, or this is the way to go, or this is the life I have for you, but it directly conflicts with what I want or think or imagine. Jesus, he looks out and he weeps. How often I would have gathered your, your, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. This last week was a fun one in my household. Super exciting stuff. We have two chickens now. We're really moving into that exciting life of, you know, uh, pets and farm animals. And it's a lot of fun. And our two chickens are uh, probably not the brightest of chickens. Uh, one of them seems to be pretty smart. You know, it's rained a whole bunch these last couple of days. One of them has just been cozy and cuddly in the, the coop and staying dry and staying warm. And the other one, uh, yesterday, couldn't find the door to get into the coop and just like pecked at the chicken wire in the rain and looked super sad. Jesus, he describes his love for these people. Look, like a hen, I would have brought you under my wing. When hens have chicks, they will hold their chicks close when it's cold to keep them warm. They will care for their chickens, for their little babies, at least until they're old enough and big enough to survive on their own. It says, look, like a hen, I would have gathered you in. In all of your pain, and all of your sorrow, and all of your suffering, I would have cared for you and provided for you and been the source of hope and nurturing and life that you need. How often I would have done this. Yet you would not. You had no interest in my care or my compassion or my love or my provision. You had no interest in my goodness 
No, instead, you killed my prophets and stoned those I sent to you. It goes on, your house is left desolate. See, in their rejection of God and pursuing their own way, there was nothing left for them. And Jesus weeps. He weeps out of this place of pain and agony, of care and compassion. I wish you would have only understood. If there was anything I could have done to gather you in, I would have done it. But you had no desire for it. In our grief, sometimes we see people who are suffering and we know the hope they need and they want nothing to do with it. And it might break your heart to see the pain they're living in. They don't want any change. A couple weeks ago, I had a pretty rough day here in the office. I had a meeting with somebody who's going through some really dark trauma, and it was just hard to hear. And later in the day, I was sharing some coffee with somebody on the front porch who was having a pretty rough day. And then as I went to come back inside, I saw a couple of guys just sitting there getting ready to do drugs, just in the open. And when I walked by and said, hey, what, what are you doing? They just looked at me and said, oh, we'll just walk across the street and do it over there. And that's what they did. They just got up, they walked over across the street and sat down and proceeded to do the very thing that's slowly killing them. And it hurt. I wish I had an answer for people caught in addiction. I wish I had a way for people in their pain to say, look, there's something better for you. You're so deeply loved and worth so much more. Jesus, he sees these people, his people hurting, and he hurts. And I love that in most translations, there's this heading, this little subtitle called a lament over Jerusalem. Because I know for me, when I find myself overwhelmed with other people's pain, when I find myself unsure of how to help or people who simply don't want help, it's really easy to turn my pain into complaining. God, why would you do this? Like, why would you allow this person to be so broken that they're just this casual about the thing killing them? God, why would you not intervene and fix this. Our natural tendency when we're hurting, whether it's our own grief or the weight and grief of other people's pain, is to complain, God, where are you? Why can't you? When will you? But throughout scripture, there's a type of prayer that we are given to use in our grief, in our pain, in our sorrow, a type of prayer that has largely been forgotten in our culture. And I believe deeply that when we grieve, we need to learn to lament. If you're not familiar with the kind of prayer of lament, lament is a prayer where you take your deep-seated anguish and pain and sorrow, whatever the cause and whatever the reason, and you lay all of that bare before God. If you've ever read some of the Psalms, maybe you know what this looks like. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
or even where David goes so far in some of the Psalms to say, God, I wish that you would bash the children of my enemies against rocks. Talk about pain to wish that upon your enemies. Lament, however, is a powerful form of connecting with God. So I want to share with you a couple of things about what lamenting is and then begin to encourage and teach you that in your grief and your sorrow, when you find yourself weeping in life, learn to lament. So first, what is lament? Lament is a form of praise. See, when we are real and honest with God and we can bear our soul, all of our ugly and hurting pain, there's no need for God to be sheltered from that. Sometimes we think when we're hurting that we can't tell God how we're feeling. Like if only I say just how mad at him I am or just how mad at the situation I am, then there might be a question, maybe I don't believe enough. But learning to lament is actually a form of praising God. In fact, the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, almost two-thirds of that book are laments. Prayers crying out in pain and in anguish, but in praise. See, lamenting is for all of those times when we find ourselves suffering and we ask God why, And there's no answer. When we see other people suffering and we ask why or we ask God fix this or heal this and it seems for some reason to persist, we need to turn to lament. God hears the pain and anguish and suffering. See, a complaint is an accusation against God's character. God, you're not faithful to fix this. God, you're not able to move this person's heart. God, you won't do anything here. But a lament is slightly different. It's actually not an accusation against his character, but it's an emotional appeal on behalf of his character. God, because you love, do something for this person trapped in addiction. God, because you love, do something for this pain and this sorrow, this person who's been suffering the anguish or rape or any other kind of terrible tragedy, do something for them because I know just how good you are that you can. When we learn to practice lament, we learn how to praise God in all things. In fact, it's no surprise that here in just a few days on Good Friday, one of the last things Jesus says as he's dying on the cross is quoting that psalm of lament I already shared. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In addition to being a form of praise, lament is relational. I often share stories about my oldest son, so let me tell you about my daughter. Um, she doesn't usually eat much for dinner. Like a couple of bites and then she's full. Which means you can guarantee the moment she wakes up before she's ever even out of bed, these words will be coming out of her mouth. I'm so, so hungry. You ever had kids and you try to sleep in and at like six in the morning they come running in, I'm so hungry. 
Like, I'm pretty sure you won't die in the next five minutes, but if you keep saying that, you just might. (laughs) But one of the things that is actually joyful in my daughter being so hungry and coming to me, she only comes to me in the morning because she knows I'll feed her. It's only because we have this relationship where she knows that I'm faithful. Literally every day we feed her. Some days we feed her more than I can eat. But we always feed her. And out of this relationship, she knows in her place of pain where her stomach is turning, myself or my wife, we're the ones to turn to. When you're dealing with grief and pain and sorrow and you can learn to lament, you're actually turning to God with your pain because of relationship, a relationship with him. If you had no idea who God was, if God was distant and far, if he had never been faithful before, your lament would be empty and meaningless. But that praise and that prayer and that anguish and that pain poured out before him is because he is who he is and he does good for his children. Continue. Uh, Lament creates connection and intimacy. See, when we learn to take all of our pain, all of our anguish, all of our sorrow, even the pain that comes from other people's suffering, and we pour it out to God, in this moment, we have an opportunity to connect. First and foremost, to connect with God. Did you know there's not a single word you can say in your anger or your frustration or your hurt that God hasn't heard before? Like, it's okay there's words you can't say in public or you shouldn't say from the pulpit. It's okay if in your lament you use those words. And even if you do so loudly, I just encourage you do so privately. All right? It's okay to go to God with all the raw anguish. God, why are your people so stubborn-hearted? Why are you going to allow them to be completely and utterly wiped out because they refuse to see today the good news before them? God, why are they so in love with their addiction that they don't see any reason for something different? When you pour all of that pain out before God, it connects you to him. See, we often think our God is distant and just wants the good stuff. And so we often try to polish our prayers. God, hears me and my holiness coming before you. Please do this thing I really need. And it kind of hurts, so I just will stop praying because I don't know how to say what I'm really feeling. But when we can be honest, God, I am deeply hurting. And I don't know where you are and what you're doing. And you know what? My enemies seem all around me. I don't know how to get out of this. And when we can be that raw and that vulnerable, we're able to trust that he is a real God who's really for us a little bit more. Lamenting connects us with just how much he loves us and cares for us. That there's no thing we can say, no place we can go, no feeling we can feel that is too much for him to handle. Fourth, lament is a prayer for action. 
I hear this on a regular basis. When we find ourselves overwhelmed with a situation, things seem to be out of our control and nothing we do can fix it. Well, I guess all we can do now is pray. Maybe we should have started there. Like, why is that the last resort? You see, when you lament, you're crying out to God, God, please do something. Even for Jesus, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. God, I wish that you would move their hearts to see me, to know me, to love who you are and what you're doing. Later in in Luke's account, as he weeps over them, if only you would have known the peace is right now before you. God, I'm praying you would move and do something. Finally, lament is not only a prayer for action. It is our empathy in action. See, it's easy to see somebody and to feel sympathy for them. Sympathy is seeing somebody else's pain and being sorry for them. But empathy, empathy is seeing somebody else's pain and being sorry with them. Joining them in their sorrow, saying you are not alone in this brokenness, but here I am with you. And learning to lament, to take our prayers and our pain and our sorrow and our anguish and our grief and to lay it bare before God and say you alone God you can do something about this. We actually put to action the pain we're feeling. And rather than just being sorry for people, we can begin to join them and say, this is not the end. We know what's coming. And we will press in and pray every time and every day and every chance we get when we feel this way, we will seek the God who can change all of this. And we will hope that he's big enough to handle it. When we learn to lament, we put our empathy not just in sympathy. Let me be sorry for you, but let me join you. We're in this together. You're not alone. Jesus, on this day where they're waving palms and shouting praises, he weeps because he sees just how far from him they really are. But there's good news. This very lament of his, this cry in agony, this pain he poured out, this suffering he's experiencing on Sunday culminates in action on Friday. That he would actually suffer more than the emotional agony and the physical suffering that comes with that pain. But that he would suffer in every single way Like a hen, he could stretch out his arms to welcome in his children and say, for all of your pain and your sorrow and your agony, God's big enough to handle it. Come, weep no more. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you invite us to bring our pain and our sorrow our agony. At times, Lord, we're filled with grief 
because of the reality of sin and death and sickness in this world. Sometimes our grief is our loss. Lord, other times our grief is the loss of other people. The things they're missing out on. The pain they're stuck in. God, sometimes our grief is compassion and we don't know what to do with it. God, teach us to not only shout your praise, but also to bear our souls. To pour out our anguish and our sorrow on behalf of others. When the answer why is so far, may we instead come to the who can make it all better. May we see your arms stretched out and your love poured out. God, may we see your goodness in the midst of this sorrow. May we praise you. May we trust you to act. May we connect with you in this pain. God, teach us to lament in all of our sorrow that in you we can find hope and peace and joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to collect an offering. Our offering in this place has nothing to do with getting more of God's love. In fact, we give an offering to say, God, let me participate in the work you're doing in all areas of my life. In everything I do, let me contribute to helping other people connect with you. And so if you came today prepared to give and you would like to give with cash or check, you can do so in the popcorn buckets in the back as you leave. Or if you'd rather give online, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, remember this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. I'm super excited for Second Sundays because if you guys haven't heard this about me yet, uh, I really like food. And uh, I also really like food trucks. Uh, that's going to be a really awesome opportunity, not only for us to get to know one another and cultivate community and friendships here, but also a really safe place to invite your friends. So if your friends aren't comfortable joining us on, on Sunday morning for service, just invite them to come out afterwards and have some food, because everybody likes food, I think. Uh, before we get to the questions, you'll notice in the corner, if you signed up for the Holy Week at Home bags, they are back there. Melissa will be handing them out. If you signed up, your name's on one. If you didn't sign up, don't worry. We don't have any extra, but the devotion is available online, right? Will it, be. It sure can be. <laughs> the devotional will be available online. Give Whoops. me like a couple hours and it'll totally be online. So later today, you can go online. Even for those of you joining on live stream, you can get that devotional. And every day from today until next week, Sunday, there's a devotion for you to help you stop and connect with Jesus during this special week. So make sure to grab your bag and or download the devotional later today. And now your questions. All right. First question on Peter looking into Jesus's tomb, I read a statement on John 20, verse 7, that says, in the face cloth which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Yeah, I never paid much attention to the face cloth being 
folded. They tied it to a Jewish tradition when the master eating a meal is not done or returning, he folds his napkin. Have you heard this or can confirm this? No. I have neither heard of that nor can I confirm that, but it sounds pretty neat. Yeah. So keep reading and let me know what you learn. Sounds kind of cool. I know. I'm very curious about that. All right. Second question. How do you find that hope and direction when you're in the midst of that grief, when all that was a part of your plans and future were taken away by death? I think that's where this prayer of lament can become so powerful. If you read through the Psalms, there's a lot of pain and agony. And in most cases, though not every case, they share some really, really deep pain, and then they end with kind of a declaration of who God is. Like, God, everything sucks, and I can't stand this, and I wish I was dead, but you're God, and I'm not. God, I'm so miserable, but praise you. And part of that pouring out of the pain actually creates space for healing, It creates space for us to take all of that pain and not get rid of it, but to begin to find where God is in the midst of it. Um, So I would say, how do you, if you're in the middle of your grief, how do you find hope and peace? Um, Read some of the Psalms and some of the pain that's poured into them. And then maybe if you like to write, write your own. What is the pain you want to pour out? Or maybe find a place in the woods where nobody's around and just like scream your pain. And if you don't even have words to scream, just literally scream into the air. Like, that's fine. God will understand. And if after all of that, you're still finding yourself overwhelmed and not sure where to go next, maybe find somebody to sit with you and to cry with you and to be there to say, this really does suck and you're not alone. Um, I know I will be there, Emily will be there. There's a lot of people here at the church who love you and will gladly sit with you in that place of pain. Absolutely. Um, There are two more things. Um, First, what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And isn't it kind of weird that there's an unforgivable sin? Hmm. Yeah, unforgivable sin. The only unforgivable sin is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It depends on which church body and and denomination you're a part of. I tend to believe, based on a lot of study and a lot of scholarship, that blaspheming the Holy Spirit means nothing more or less than saying, God, I don't want you to do this for me. I want to do it myself. Uh, God, I don't trust that you're capable of handling this. I'm going to do it myself. And I don't think we have to be worried that maybe one time in our life we accidentally don't trust enough and then we're doomed. Now, I think it's a habitual pattern and, and a lifestyle of saying, God, you aren't enough. I want to do it on my own. And so between now and when you breathe your last breath, there's always a chance to say, God, I really do want you and need you to be the one who's able to heal this mess. And I don't believe, but I want to believe. And so I think um, it's only on our deathbed that we have the opportunity to truly and finally blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. What does it mean that there's an unforgivable sin? I think we have a God who loves us enough to give us what we want. And if we really, really, really don't want him, he's not going to force us into that. Um, Last thing, uh, can we pray for Johan Weaver, who is currently in surgery? That was on my mind. Johan Weaver, if you know him, uh, he's adorable. And if you don't know him, you should. He's super great. He's usually up here in the front, though sometimes in the back in his little wheelchair that's super cool and decked out. 
Um, he's, is he at Children's? Is that where he's at? He's at Children's right now having surge, brain surgery this morning. So um, before the benediction, let's close with a prayer as we pray for him and for his healing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Johan. We thank you for the doctors who've caught this infection, who are opening him up to treat this infection. God, we pray for wisdom, for clarity, for discernment. We pray you would give strength and peace to Carrie and to Tyler. God, we pray the whole family would find your, your love surround them. God, we ask that you would bring Johan through the surgery, bring him healing. Help him to again rejoice with that smile that's so bright and that love that's so deep. And we thank you that we are one church body, one family in all of our pain and all of our suffering. We are in this together. May they know just how deeply they're loved as they await this healing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And now as we go receive this blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.